0: Good morning. We're back for a new episode of Riddles in the Dark podcast, sponsored by the Mythgard Institute and Middle Earth Network Radio. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and I'd like to introduce our host Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor.
1: Good morning. Okay, so our first, of course, the piece of news which we announced last night is that we are finally sort of launching the second part, or sort of the wider part of the riddles in the game. I the the Riddles in the Dark prediction game, Sort of because the, the central idea is not only that we would have these podcasts where Dave and I speculate about this, though he and I enjoy that enough to do that all by itself, but the cooler thing is to invite other people to participate in this discussion, because, of course, this is one of the fun things to do, and I think this is a really cool opportunity. I mean, whenever a movie is coming out that you're really excited about, it's always fun to speculate about what it's going to be like and what's going to happen, but here you get to combine that with actual discussion of books that we love, too, so... So I mean, like, what a twofer. So anyway, we want to involve uh, lots more people in this in this discussion. So we have partnered with a bunch of other podcasts and uh, other other Tolkien websites. And you, if you go to, uh, let's see, uh, Dave, where can they most easily find the link to the prediction grid that we've made up?
0: Um. So, what is the URL? I believe the URL, it's, if you go to um, the Mythgard Institute webpage, um, there's this thing called the Exclusive section, which is uh, content exclusive to the Mythgard Institute, of course. Uh, Underneath there, you will see, if you highlight that menu option, you'll see uh, Riddles in the Dark listed, and you click that, so that takes you to the Riddles in the Dark page, and then If you scroll down to the bottom, there's a thing that says prediction game, and there's a link um, buried in some text that says see everyone's guess in the predictions grid. If you click on that link, then that will take you to the page with our giant um, grid that has everybody's predictions in it right now. And um, so that's where you go to find out more.
1: Yeah, that it should be fun. And so we you know we're hoping to we're you know this is still kind of under development and we're going to be uh we're going to be kind of making this bigger and better as time goes along. Uh but you can begin to see what some other people think uh about this and we're going to be having some regular guest posts um by our by our other partners who are working with us on this. Um you know some of them will be text posts that will be posted uh on our on not only on their websites, but also on our on our blog at at Mythgard, and then also we'll be having some kind of audio digest posts. That is, uh, you know, some some of the other podcasts are going to be discussing these questions too, and we're going to to basically run the clips of them discussing it, kind of in response to what we're talking about here. So you'll be able to hear what they have to say too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and our shall abound.
0: Our long term goal is to. Uh, Be able to accept feedback from our listeners, so to do polls and things like that. Actually, my I have a new I have a new uh, harebrained idea. I would love to. I have no idea how much work this would be, and whether I'll be actually actually be able to do this. But I would love to set up an actual prediction market kind of like in trade where Where people place bids on these things and we actually we measure the likelihood of things based on share prices (laughs) awesome yeah uh,
1: that sounds that sounds pretty cool
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's uh that could be a while uh before we actually have that Sounds a little elaborate but fun (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: pretty cool well we um we we you know we have been getting some feedback from people, and I, we're always happy to hear what your thoughts are. So we hope to be able to 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 put an app, some whatever apparatus we end up doing, <coughs> some apparatus or other in place uh, that we can uh, uh, where where we can actually register. Uh, listener feedback on the site as well. So anyway, so that, that's, that's sort of, it's still in progress and that's what's, that's what's coming along. So look for, look for the, the contributions of our, of our guests and partners on this too. So anyway, today, our topic today, as we said last time is the battle of Azanulbazar. We've still been talking about, we've been focusing on the dwarves here at the beginning. And after talking about Thryan and Thror, we came, especially after last week, uh, with uh, our discussion of Thror himself to the issue of the Battle of Azanulbazar. Um, but we should actually st- we should start off with uh, some of our listener feedback. Um, there were a couple. Questions that people ask that I think I, that I would like to uh, that I'd like to address. One actually is back to the Thrain uh, issue, which there's been some discussion on the Tolkien Professor Facebook page about the the comment Gandalf says that Thrain was witless and wandering when he found him, um, and I, I you know basically the, the the discussion on the site was whether that means that is the reference to his being to his wandering, um, whether that means that there's any chance that the necromancer actually let thrain loose and he's actually like physically wandering around and i guess like my response to that is twofold on the one hand i feel about 95% pos- no i feel about 98% positive that that gandalf simply means mentally wandering i think that i i think there's there's a less than 2% chance that Gandalf is implying that Thranduil was out of prison when he met him because he says he was in the pits he was in the dungeons of Dol Guldur so uh, i don't think that's happening is there precedent for that you know for for the big bad guy setting a prisoner free after he's basically gotten everything from him that he wants well yeah i mean that's what happens to Hurin in the first stage with Melkor but I, I don't see i don't see any parallel there and i don't see any reason to think uh that Thrain's actually been set free. So, as far as, like, my interpretation of that passage in the book, I I don't at all think that that's what Gandalf means. I think he's just referring to his mental wandering. But... The other way to approach that question is like, could it be done that way? And I think, yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, could I am you know, do I think that it would be possible to, to 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 adapt the story in that way? Yes, I don't know that I'd do it, but I, then again, I wouldn't have open air prisons either in Dal Guldur. So what do I know? Um, what do you think about that, Dave?
0: Oh, that's whole a good question. Thran question. The, I, well, I thought that was a good point because that's one of those. Um, that's. I think that's one of those phrases that oftentimes when I'm reading this book or listening to the audio version of it, that I kind of just skate over it. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I, that I sort of wonder that too. Like, what are they? What does he mean? Witless and wandering. Um. Yeah. And and I think the mental image it usually conjures up for me is physically wandering. That somehow he was escaped or something. But I never spent a lot of time worrying about it. I just sort of kept going. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so this is an interesting discussion and I had, I had never actually, I'd never, I hadn't considered the possibility that it was, that he was sort of using it metaphorically, you know, mentally wandering and, and not totally unfocused maybe. So, uh, that was an excellent discussion on the page and, but I, I agree this seems like a this seems like the ripe kind of opportunity like like the like Balrogs having wings quote unquote for example <laughs> where filmmakers might say let's take this literally or right. or or even worse they just took it literally not on purpose but that's right. how they understood it and <laughs> but at so.
1: least then at least that we this is actually a major downside to uh to directorial um uh Uh, commentaries on DVDs because until they actually explain what they were intending to do, I can attribute to them great ingenuity and brilliance for everything that they do. Like I have that freedom until I actually hear them explain their reasonings. Um, so I actually, I, 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 actually don't enjoy directors' commentaries for that reason. It's like, please just let me attribute. To you yes. Fantastic let me use my imagination. <laughs>
0: that's,
1: that's really, it's really better. But anyway, um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I. I I mean, the reasons I think in the text that he's clearly talking about mental wandering is, is – because it's in that context when he says that he barely remembered his own name. And so, I mean, that that's – but – but, I mean, you know, like whatever. Are, there, are they going to do it differently? They may. They may. I mean, and it certainly would um, – I don't know. I mean, it would, it, it would make for an interesting scene. Like I can certainly imagine such a scene being filmed, but it's kind of hard to imagine how they're going to explain – you know, like oh yeah, they just kind of got bored and let me go. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there was a reason why Huron was let go, um, and he wasn't just let go. He was he was set free so that they could watch him and learn stuff from him, and hoping that he would do more harm. So, I I, I, I mean, maybe. The, but I don't. I just don't see that angle working for Thrayon so who knows um, anyway so that's, uh, so that's one thing the other question um, Harold Johnson that, that was uh, Michael Lucero who po- posed that question originally on my Facebook page Harold Johnson also had another question about the dwarf ring um, are we going to do an episode on the dwarf ring this is, this is reminding me I'm thinking off the top of my head should we save this for a dwarf ring episode are we going to do that
0: um, I think we should. I think that would yeah, be very fun. So I'd say we yeah. save this question. Okay,
1: all right, we'll save this one. See, I was going to address it, but then all of a sudden, at the last second, I'm thinking, eh, well, it's because we're going to talk about that soon, probably sooner rather than later, actually, mm-hmm. um, to talk about the Rings of Power, because, of course, that's a big question. Have, you know, it was easy enough. I mean, we we had the three rings, um, but they were appearing, you know, sort of off the, off the radar uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Um, but really, there was just the one central ring. We do have now all of a sudden a dwarf ring in issue um, uh, here, so that's that that does raise a that does raise a different question. But anyway, okay, so we'll, so we'll come back to that. All right, so um, then let's get to the Battle of Asenul. Well,
0: maybe okay. before that, I just oh, wanted yeah? uh, maybe discuss a little bit some of our the feedback we've gotten from our guest analysts from the prediction game. We sure. won't we won't read we got we got lengthy. Um, almost essay quality content from uh, Mark Fisher from in, from the Encyclopedia of Arta, and also some good stuff from um, American Golden Star from Casual Stroll. But I, we won't read it on here because I'm thinking actually either we'll post it as a blog or maybe even I can read it and record it and include it in our Digest episode, which um, we still haven't released, but we will soon, I promise. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, Mark, Mark brought up a good point that, that we didn't cover when we were talking about the potential of Thrain and Thror stories be t- being told in flashbacks and all that, uh, which I think people maybe it's easy to forget with The Hobbit, but this whole movie is technically going to be a flashback already. Right. Um, and so whenever we start talking about flashbacks, other flashbacks, it, we, we're getting into flashbacks of flashbacks. And I don't know how – I mean I don't think that means they won't do them, but that certainly makes them (laughs) slightly more complicated and kind of strange.
1: I agree, though it also does, as he was pointing out, um, raise the – actually increase the possibility uh, of flashbacks as long as they happen within that larger frame. And of course the larger frame he's talking about is Bilbo relating these stories to Frodo. Which we are reminded of, uh, obviously, not only by the casting of Elijah Wood, uh, but also by the trailer. You know, the 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 reference in the trailer, which uh, which Mark alludes to, um, of of old Bilbo saying that you know he hasn't told him all, um, which does lead to uh, lead us to believe. As I mean, the whole idea of a frame story. Um, which is in the, which is even in the original hobbit, I mean we don 't have the whole thing isn 't framed beginning and end uh, in the hobbit, but at the end of the book, in the last chapter, we do see Bilbo writing his memoirs. We do see Bilbo writing down the story that we just finished reading he doesn 't have an audience it's not he doesn 't have frodo there because of course in one thousand nine hundred and thirty seven frodo didn 't exist, but he is writing his memoirs he is writing, writing the red book and that, I think, is a really important thing. This is one of the things that I love most. I mean, I remember when Elijah Wood was cast, when that announcement was made, and, you know, Tolkien fans all over were groaning and saying, what on earth are they doing casting Frodo in The Hobbit? And I loved it for this reason because I love frame stories. And I think that one of the coolest things about The Hobbit um, and its role, especially when you're telling it from the Lord of the Rings context, is this idea of its being a story within a story so having having it having it framed in that way even more aggressively than the Lord of the Rings was with the book writing at the beginning and end as they did it in the extended edition um i think i, th- I think that that's great so that could work really well and you know provide a frame wherein they tell a bunch of things which would be you know sort of more orderly flashbacks rather than a flashback interrupting the narrative. You know, having this sort of stream of things that certainly allows them to do initial exposition pretty easily in the same way that they did the initial exposition uh, in the Lord of the Rings films. hmm the original voiceover sequence, but it would be less out there. I mean, of course, the thing with the Lord of the Rings films, you just start with a dark screen and Galadriel's voice and no context for that, and we don't even know who that is Yes, uh, until we meet her later on. Now, that's a cool effect. I'm not criticizing that, but, um, but here, of course, we have a much more natural uh, frame context and uh, opportunity for flashback and exposition like the, the uh, flashback and exposition that we got at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. Now... Um, the, the, the with the Hobbit frame, though, I think – here's the way I disagree with the flashback point is that I don't – I doubt they're going to make the frame very intrusive. That is, I suspect it's going to come at the beginning and it's going to come in at the end, but I don't expect it to interrupt the story. Like uh, like like the Princess Bride, for instance, you know where like we keep interrupting the story and going back to the storytelling frame. So you don't
0: you don't think that there'll be like doing a scene and then suddenly we'll have we'll hear Frodo's voice saying what that happened and then right, you, you right. go back to Frodo and Bilbo talking and Bilbo's like yes of course
1: right. that would be one way to do it and I say that it was done brilliantly in the Princess Bride film. I mean that's the best storytelling frame and relationship between frame and 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 framed story. Film That I can think of. It was fantastically done in that film. Um, I don't I, – my prediction – not that we're making an official prediction about that, but I don't think they're going to do it that way. I think they're going to do a beginning and ending frame.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree that – I don't think they'll, they'll interrupt. I think, if anything, maybe we'll occasionally get narration from Bilbo. In fact, right, I expect right. we'll get that pretty regularly, introducing right, scenes right. maybe, but –
1: like an Ian Holm vo- voiceover basically being, yes. uh, being a – yeah, no, I, that, that does seem reasonable. Um, but since that's the case, if we don't as, – so as long as we don't return to the frame in the middle and it's just a beginning and ending thing, the whole rest of the films are not going to feel like a flashback. I mm. mean it's gonna, it's going to feel – you're going to be immersed in that story. So having a flashback within that story that you're immersed in – despite the fact that it's a framed narrative I don't think is going gonna, is gonna to feel weird um, it's not like a, just a, a really confusing flashback in a flashback um, kind of effect so I think as long as they handle the frame in that way it's not going to be it's, I, I don't think it's going to preclude flashbacks but it was a really interesting point I hadn't really been thinking about that all that much so
0: I was really glad he brought that up alright, good, okay Battle of All right. let's get on with it
1: Let's do, let's do this. Um okay, so
0: I was thinking that maybe a, a nice first thing to start with would be uh what where is Azanul Bazaar? Talk a little bit about just the location itself.
1: Yep, yep. Well, the Battle of Azanul Bazaar of course will be recognized by uh the readers of the Lord of the Rings. That's the place where they come out of Moria when they come out they come out the front gate and uh uh you know, and, and run down towards Lorien that's the valley of uh as an that they come down into. And of course you'll remember that Gimli, even though they're being pursued by Orcs, well, I mean like they're about to be pursued by Orcs, they're running away from orcs. Um he has to stop and pay homage uh to to Khaled Zaram, the pool. Um uh, because this is, you know, one of the sacred sites of the dwarves. This is the place where, you know, this is the Miramir, this is, and there's a stone there marking the spot where Durin first looked in Miramir, uh, and, you know, this is this is a huge dale. So it's, it's, it's in that valley that the Battle of azanul happens. So I think that that's an important thing to remember, that this battle, it's not just that it is fought for the, you know, kind of in a sense over the minds of moria um you know that is that that the minds of moria are the battleground uh for this the 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 ancestral home of the chief of the dwarf families but it is also being fought literally at this site at this you know most sacred of dwarven places at least most sacred of dwarven places that we ever hear about um and so that's 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 a really big deal,
0: I think. And it's uh, just to um, refresh our listeners' minds, in Elvish, this valley is referred to as Nanduhirian, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the men call it Dimraldale.
1: That's right. Yes, it's one of those places, and there are several of the places around Moria, like the Three Mountains, that we are given... Their translations, you know, their yeah. names in all three languages. Which is
0: a uh, which is a, a signpost back to the good old days when everybody got along and there was <laughs>
1: that's that's right, you know, that's right. Which is, of course, significant because uh, you know we know that you know dwarves don't share their secret language with anybody. Remember what a big deal Gimli felt that it was when he heard Goadriel speaking the names of Khazad-dum and khazad in his mm-hmm. own language. Um, but of course those are some of the few places where the dwarven words for things <clears throat> are known, uh, because they used to be in friendship in community. It is a sign of like those, those open days. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll note, for instance, we don't know the dwarven name for the lonely mountain. We're never given that. Um, you know, we, Erebor is not a dwarvish name. Uh, and the lonely mountain is what the men call it. Um, so anyway, is it Arab it, or Elvish? Yes.
0: Yeah. And yeah, uh and just and uh I know our more uh meticulous listeners will will want us to to specify which elvish these words are.
1: It is Sindarin.
0: Yeah, it's nearly I think most of the elvish words in general that we get in these books are Sindarin, right? Yes. Like, yes. Cool. Yep. Okay, so the battle Especially- Place names, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Especially the place names in
0: Middle-earth. Right. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so the battle, um, I thought maybe we would start by reading. There's the one, the paragraph that describes the beginning of the battle is really kind of a fun one. Um, it's in the Appendix A, so I thought maybe we would read that. What do you think?
1: Yeah, sure. All
0: sure. right, here we go. Actually, it's not the whole pair. I'm skipping the first sentence. So okay. began the Battle of Azanolbazar, or Nanduhirion in the Elvish Tongue, at the memory of which the orcs still shudder and the dwarves weep. The first assault of the vanguard led by Thryne were thrown back with loss, and Thryne was driven into a wood of great trees that then still grew not far from Keladzarum. There Frerin his son fell, and Fundin his kinsmen and many others, and both Thryne and Thorin were wounded. Elsewhere, the battle swayed to and fro with great slaughter, until at last the people of the Iron Hills turned the day. Coming late and fresh to the field, the mailed warriors of Nine, Gror's son, drove through the orcs to the very threshold of Moria, crying, Azog, Azog, as they hewed down with their mattocks all who stood in their way. I love that line about the orcs shuddering and the dwarves weeping. Yes,
1: yes, yes, that's my favorite line in that paragraph, absolutely. Um yeah yeah so that's this is <clears throat> now, the interesting thing about the Battle of Bazaar, I mean is sort of its history in the stories of the book that is all of the elements of the Battle of azanul Bazar is are there in the hobbit in the nineteen thirty seven hobbit they're all there um the the fact that the that the Dwarves fought a war against the goblins that that war was fought for vengeance over the death of Thror um that uh Azog the Goblin murdered Thror, and that they were taking vengeance for that, and that Azog was killed by Dan's father. All of those things um, are uh, are mentioned in the Hobbit. So it's all there in the original story, but it's only you know I mean and I mentioned this uh, on our in our first episode. I think we don't really get a glimpse. We don't really get a sense at all in that first chapter where these things are originally mentioned in the Unexpected Party a sense of what a big deal this was Of, how, I mean it sounds like, because we don't know what the mines of Moria are, we don't even know that those are big, I mean mines makes it sound like it's not actually really you know, that big a deal, like, mm-hmm. so there were some mines we fought some goblins there I mean okay, whatever um, but we begin to learn that the moment we meet the moment we meet the great goblin and realize that he has heard of Thorin and that this war was was actually a really big deal, um, is the first time that we begin to see the scope of it. So the full story uh, told in Appendix A is really just fleshing out things that have been there all along. Um, so it's so for this reason, uh, the Battle of Azanulbazar is kind of pretty deeply woven into the the backstory of the Hobbit as it's conceived in the original book, which is. One good reason to include it in the film. Another good reason to include it in the film is that it's awesome. And it's, it's sort of part of exactly the kind of thing that the film seems to be interested in doing that is playing up the more sweeping epic um, – Versions of the Hobbit story that Tolkien was developing later on in the post Lord of the Rings era. Um, so, like this, this, this exact kind of material from Appendix A seems to be a lot of the stuff that they're working with uh, in making up the films.
0: Yeah, I kind of I agree. I've as I've been thinking about what how they're going to do this film, and in particular that point you brought up about them turning this into a, a more sort of epic um, uh, delivery of the story of the Hobbit. I really think one of the elements they 're going to play up is the enmity between the goblins and the dwarves because yes. the, it, it, i mean the, the hobbit is kind of it's there 's so many different stories buried in it you know it's it's it, it, on the surface it really appears to be just about Bilbo and this unexpected journey. Um, when we read uh, the quest for Erebor and the appendix of Lord of the Rings, we start to see that it, it's kind of a first, uh, it's a it's a prelim for the War of the Ring, and it, it sets mm-hmm. a lot of important events in pl- in motion. But what it also is is it's really kind of a culmination of this of the war of the dwarves and the orcs, um, and and the Battle of Five Armies is kind of this uh, encore to the Battle of Azanulbazar. So I think they're gonna. Really try to play up that whole the the dwarves orcs war, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they're really I think that's 'cause because that's a that's a that's a, you know with all this backstory on the dwarves that's an excellent opportunity to mine for epic elements.
1: Right, because I mean one one challenge that I think is definitely going to confront them. I mean obviously, battle of five armies is going to be a big deal in the second film. Like you know that's pretty much the most obvious thing on earth um here peter jackson is being handed this enormous epic battle at the end of the story Mm -hmm. um but in the battle of five armies the sort of the, the 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 crucial context of the battle of five armies is that the enmity of the dwarves and the elves against the goblins is so intense that although they are actually running across the field towards each other, about to hack into each other, arrows have already been shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so like they are they are seconds away from hacking into each other. The goblins appear; they immediately stop, turns turn ninety degrees metaphorically, you know, step shoulder to shoulder and fight against the goblins together. Like that kind of incredible radical shift in the dynamics of what is happening from, I am running at you screaming and, and holding an ax to now you are my friend and ally. And I shall strategize with you to defeat our common foe. I mean, that is a jolt that requires a lot of belief. Now I think it works in the Hobbit. Um, But on film, that's going to be hard to do, and I think that what's going to be really crucial to doing that is exactly what you say. If we can establish first um, the kind of fundamental reality of the enmity between the dwarves and the goblins, then that will really help. Of course, also, you're going to have to establish it between the elves and the goblins, too, because that's something which in the book Tolkien asks us just to take on faith. Yeah, they they –
0: he just slips yeah, that right. line in at the end, right? Like, right, like, that, when like he says, their
1: hatred for the goblins was bitter.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs>
1: right, right. Exactly. Now, I mean, if you read really carefully, we do. Get, the only setup we get for it are the references to the fall of Gondolin. Like, we mm-hmm. know that we were, you know, the ancient wars between the elves and the goblins, and uh, which, of course, is. We are reminded of in the in in the fact of the magic swords, right? With beater and biter, and and uh, and th- that is the goblins' reactions to to to, to Glamdring and Orcrist, and um, and and with Sting as well. So we we have heard that there were elf and goblin wars, but and they were legendary and they were amazing, and it was it was you know it was it was tragic, and Gondolin fell. Um, but so we we do have that set up, but. But it's pretty distant, and it's only brought up a couple times. And as I say, you have to pay attention to really be remembering that, to be thinking about Gondolin. Um, you know, when the when the elves form ranks against against the goblins. So yeah, I mean, I think for the film, they're going to need a little bit more than a couple references to the fall of Gondolin thousands of years ago.
0: That's a good point. I wonder if maybe they could do things like. when the elves capture the dwarves and they're interrogating them, one of the things they maybe ask about is movements of the goblins or you know, <laughs> stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I mean at least some some reference to it there. I mean it's hard because the Battle of Azanulbazar does present a kind of obvious opportunity to um, to set up the, 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 the terrible enmity. Animat- and not only that but to establish parallels with the Battle of Five Armies so mm-hmm. that you can have – One could theoretically have these two battles framing the story in the same way that Peter Jackson used the Battle of the Last Alliance and the Battle Before the Gates of Mordor uh, as a framing structure for the Lord of the Rings story, as well, with the sort of some fairly clear recapitulatory moments um, in the, you know, the the stand Men of the West, uh, you know, business at the end of The Return of the King, uh, looking back towards towards the opening sequence. Um, as uh, serious movie fans will remember, um, in the initial cuts, like not just the initial concept, but in the initial filming of that battle before the gates of Mordor, uh at in the return of the king, um they had actually filmed it. they had actually intended it to have Sauron come out and fight hand to hand with Aragorn on the battlefield um before the gates and they <laughs> cut that, so that's like Thank God, the, the troll that he fights against there at the end was Sauron originally, and they replaced c g sauron with c g troll instead <laughs> um but uh but yeah, anyway that was that was clear with the but, but again. You know, forgetting whether or not that's a terrible idea, what we can clearly see happening there is the frame, right? That we have Sauron coming out into into the battle mm-hmm. just like he came out into the battle at the beginning of the first movie. We see him fighting with Aragorn as he fought with Elendil and Isildur. So, um, so you know, that concept is clearly there. That framing concept is clearly there. Uh, so... You could do a very similar thing. The Battle of of as bazaar does present itself as an obvious kind of framing mechanism mm-hmm. um, for the film, and and a good setup, which could which could be a good setup in several ways, visually as well as thematically, for the Battle of Five Armies. So that could happen, but of course, uh, well, okay. Here's the here's the problem. I think here's the other challenge is that the story of the Hobbit has another frame, too. And that is the attack of Smaug on the Lonely Mountain. Because um, that's the other way that you could frame the story, of course. If you're starting the story with the Unexpected Party, that's the first frame. Like, we're not going to do the Unexpected Party and be like, and let's spend a whole lot of time talking about the Battle of Azanulbazar. That's not, that's not the point of the Unexpected Party. The point of the Unexpected Party is Smaug and his attack on the Lonely Mountain. Mm-hmm. So that is the other logical place If you want to start with a framing sequence To contextualize the story that's about to be told In many ways, the attack of Smaug on Erebor Is the more logical one of the two mm-hmm. um, Because it's the immediate story It sets up the immediate story of the quest for the Lonely Mountain um, And therefore, the Battle of Bazaar And the attack of Smaug and the Battle of Five Armies. This is like one major epic event too many, I fear. Yeah, I, so I wonder.
0: I've been worrying about that as well. That with all the that we're we're all excited about the fact that that Peter Jackson is sort of uh, continu- continuing Tolkien's efforts toward the end of his life of, of incorporating The Hobbit into the larger epic world. Uh, but I'm, I've am i been worrying about this, too, that we're going to get sort of epic clutter. <laughs> we're going to get a clutter of epicness <laughs> yeah, as right. he keeps adding all these things and, like, <laughs> let's add in the history of the dwarves. Let's add in Thrain right. and Thror and add in the Battle of As and the War of the Orcs and Goblins and also keep Smog in there. Exp- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Bilbo. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, and we have to vastly expand the elves, too. I yes. mean, the wood elves are, like, a bit part in the book. Um, you know, we need much more of them and we need, like, we've got toriel and like i know that there's a lot of animus against toriel uh, among tolkien fans but i mean honestly i consider something like toriel almost a necessity i mean other than the elven king himself we have we as readers have almost no connection with the wood elves they they are they are very Distant. I mean, we we're not connected with them. And they they wouldn't, as they're depicted, they wouldn't work on film. Um, so presenting a sort of central Wood Elf character that we as viewers are led to care about is actually a very sensible, um, you know, film response to mm-hmm. that situation. So it doesn't surprise me. And if you have to construct and. Expand a character anyway. Why not make it a female character since there aren't any in The Hobbit? That seems like a perfectly (laughs) logical choice to me, I have to say. Much better, much better than like converting somebody else into a woman um, in order to, 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 you know, put a female on stage. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's whatever i said, it. it's not perfect but but i can totally understand reason you know if that is their reasoning i can totally understand their reasoning for it yes. um but anyway as you say yes there's there's i mean this is kind of the irony right i mean the first response i mean many people's first response when they hear that peter jackson is doing two epic films on the hobbit is how on earth are you going to get two epic films out of that tiny little book and of course now here in our discussion we're like the problem is the story of the hobbit is far too epic yeah there's too they much epic <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's, uh, so uh
0: but we'll speaking right. of epic, we need to get back to the uh topic of this episode yes. we we yeah. we haven't we actually haven't even described much about the battle <laughs> as an old bizarre. we haven't even given it our chance to um uh wax lovingly about all the various things we like about the battle so let's uh let's get back to that. Um, yeah. Just some basics. Uh, the the inciting event, of course, as we talked last time, is uh, Thror's death at the hands of right. Azog. And, and not just death, but like brutal, probably t- torture and murder and beheading, uh, and then desecration of the body afterward. Um, and this incites not just this battle. This battle is actually the final battle of a, I think, nine-year war between the dwarves and the goblins. Uh, right. And, and we're told that this, uh, we're told that this war takes place mostly sort of, um, uh, you know, in, uh, it's that most of this, this war not only ha- happens off screen, not, you know, that we're not told what's going on in the book. We just told there's a war, but, but specifically that the war takes place sort of in many unseen dark and deep places under the earth. Um, and so this is really I guess this is the only battle that we that that the that anybody really knows anything about apart from the dwarves because the rest yes. of it was just taking place completely out of sight um, yes. <clears throat> and it and it 's said that this was a pretty brutal war too, and a lot of a uh, lot of goblins and orcs and a lot of dwarves died,
1: yes, and you know merciless you know that basically there was not a whole lot of go- a lot of kindness on either side that there were, you know, there were what would be considered war crimes happening on both sides. I mean, it was it was an uh, it was not a friendly war and neither of them were very merciful or kindly. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a, it was a nasty, brutal war. Mm-hmm. And this is the culmination of it. But the point of it is personal against azog himself the dwarves are fighting this war not to exterminate the goblins but to hunt down azog so they went through and they took out every orc hold that they could find in the entire misty mountains searching for azog Uh, and so they were not going to give up butchering goblins until they found him and that's why the dwarves of the iron hills come into the battle chanting azog azog because that's He's the one that they're looking for, and he's there. Um, and and Nine, Dan's father fights him and is killed by him uh, right in the door of Moria. Until Dan Ironfoot comes up and kills him.
0: All right, and of course we we shouldn't leave out the the wonderful taunts that go back and forth between Nine and uh, Azog too. Yes. yes. What is it? Let's see. Nine says, "Azog, if you are in, come out. Or is the play in the valley too rough?" And and Azog's uh, response is, "What? Yet another beggar at my doors? Must I brand you too?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is an extremely personal war, isn't it? It
1: is. It is. And and uh, and and this is I, it, that moment. I mean, it just this is the thing that kills me about the Battle of. As an thinking about the movies, it—I mean, it is very theatrical. The entrance of Azog there, as you know, the battle is happening, and he's still—he's calling out from the darkness. He's still holding back and commanding his army from the rear, not to put himself in jeopardy. You know, this what another beggar at my door? Must I brand you too? And then he steps out into the light, and he's huge and really scary and awful. Uh, and then he and Nan have this like, you know, great individual duel. Uh, and then, and, uh, and, and Azog kills him and it's like, I mean, like the whole thing, it's a very theatrical sequence, that mm-hmm. whole sequence. Like you barely, you barely have to do anything to it. It would be awesome. Um, and of course the, uh, one of the crucial things about the battle of Azanul Bazaar one of the things that, um, makes it hard just to, that would make it hard, if anyone were woefully inclined to ditch it entirely. Um, one of the difficulties is this is where the names come from. Thorin Oakenshield is called Thorin Oakenshield because of the battle of, at this battle, his shield was broken. And so he takes his axe and he lops off the branch of an oak tree. And he wields a, the, the oak club in his left hand to use it as both a shield and a club. Um, and so he, that's where he gets his, his nickname, Thorin Oakenshield. And Dan Ironfoot gets his nickname Ironfoot. This is why, in the recent casting announcement um, of Billy Connolly as as Dan, I was most interested that he was officially called Dan Ironfoot because I wanted to see if they would keep the Battle of Azanul bazaar inspired name uh, of Dan. And this is from Dan is the one who goes up and he kills uh, Azog and puts his foot on his on his neck. So I mean, this is this is uh, you know this is Dan's big moment, and of course. Dan is uh, Dan is also the one who is coming in like Nan does. Well, you know Dan is there too in the battle of, as in Ulbazar, the the dwarves of the Iron Hills come marching in again, um, at the battle of Five Armies, and you know, and 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 Dan is there. Though we're not really told anything about what he does at the battle of Five Armies in the book, Dan. That is, um, you know, we aren't told any of his particular deeds, but uh, but he is the one who actually completes the vengeance of the dwarves. It's not Thorin. Um, who aven- it's not th- both Thran and Thorin are there at the battle, but neither one of them are the ones who avenge their kinsmen, their father and grandfather. Um, it's Dan who does it, avenging his own father, who was just killed uh, you know, minutes before by Azog. Um, mm-hmm. And Dan is really young. I mean, he's like he's like a dwarven. He's like the equivalent of a of a dwarven teenager uh, at this battle. So, um, anyway, lots of really cool stuff there, and and of course the memorial of it, the way that it's remembered um, by the dwarves at the end of the battle. So many dwarves have been killed; they suffered about fifty percent casualties. So many dwarves have been killed that they can't bury them all because as Uh, Tolkien explains in Appendix A, dwarves will not bury their dead in earth, uh, but only in stone. And they don't have time to carve stone tombs for all of the dwarves who have been killed. So they burn their bodies. They make a huge funeral pyre and burn them all, um, though that was not at all their custom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And this is how... It's memorialized afterwards that, uh, and I you know, and I I I love this phrase like you know that dwarves need only say of their ancestor he was a burned dwarf and it is enough, um, and that is if I could have one request about the Battle of bazaar I just want the phrase burned dwarf to be dropped at some point in <laughs> some the point film in the it doesn't the even film. have to be explained can I yes. just, can I just have somebody make reference to a burned dwarf that would be cool I don't. I don't think that particular wish is going to be granted but that's what I would really love to
0: see. So they said that the, the they, they cut down a ton of trees in the valley and yes. ever after remain bare I guess right up until the time the fellowship walked through it and also that mm-hmm. the the reek of the burning could be seen in Lórien.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. So yeah, those I, are the I hope they I even if they don't depict it I just would like someone to say the 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 words burn dwarf that would that would make me immensely happy and (laughs) yeah exactly so on the the vengeance thing i think another interesting thing to point out about the end of this is that you know right at the end uh thran is all excited you know he's lost an eye uh and he's stumbling around he's got a leg wound but he he says you know good we have victory kaza doom is ours uh, but the others are, uh, the other dwarves are, 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 remind him, uh, no, uh, we fought this war for vengeance and we did get vengeance, but, but we're not taking Casa Doom. Nobody's going to be able to get khazad Doom this time around. Uh, right. You know, that this, that's not why we're here. And even if we wanted to, we wouldn't be able to retake it because Doran's Bane is still there.
1: Right. Right. I, I I love the line works. Yeah, Thran is like, "And Moria is ours and they say even with one eye you should see more clearly." Yes. Um <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Um, um and I also uh I like let's see, where is the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, uh Oh yeah, the right at the end of that that answer from from the dwarves. They say, "If this is victory, then our hands are too small to hold it." Yeah. It's another great phrase. So much good stuff in this, uh, just this like short three-page section.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, and this is the short version of uh, of Appendix A. This, you know, the Quest of Erebor stuff. I'll start it off as part of this appendix. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is the trimmed down version.
0: Just, uh, just a, a kind of a curious curiosity. Do we get a bit of uh, prof- prophecy from Thran or not Thran? From Dian at the end there, where he says. Uh, um the world must change and some other power than ours must come before durin's folk walk again in moria
1: yep yep i think that is i mean it's a pretty cryptic pro- it's a pretty general prophecy that mm-hmm. is you know it's he's not making any terribly specific predictions there but uh, but yes yes he is um and that's a kind of an interesting i mean in fact it's not just interesting it's quite remarkable for a dwarf uh to say that i mean that's that's an admission that's going to kind of hurt for the dwarves mm-hmm. uh to to say you know we can't retake our in, our ancestral home ourselves we're going to need help um some other power than ours is going to have to come before we can do that um i mean This is, you know, the passage. This makes me think of is the passage from chapter one of The Hobbit when uh, Gandalf is telling Thorin and the rest of them, and they're learning about this for the first time, about Thran's imprisonment by the Necromancer and his death, Um, you know, and Thorin says, well, we've already settled the goblins of Moria, maybe now we should take thought for the Necromancer, like we should, you know, he killed my father, we should take vengeance on him just the same, let's have another dwarf war where we attack the Necromancer, and Gandalf says, you know, uh, no, no, that's really, that's a non-starter idea, Uh, you know, he is a foe that is far beyond you, um, well, you know, so basically, that's this. We see that kind of thinking. He's not intimidated by the necromancer. Um, he's he's you know ready to at least talk about going after him. Um, but obviously, they're not. They wouldn't be able to conquer him, and they're certainly not going to be able to conquer the Balrog either. Um, but not that they know exactly what the Balrog is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, that 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 recognition um, that. They have vengeance that needs to be taken. They have their own in, inheritance that is being held against them, and that they don't have the power by themselves to reclaim it. That's a that's a bitter thing for dwarves, clearly. Um, so Dan's recognition there, his you know prophetic if non specific recognition of that, is uh, is, is a very um, as I said, it's a tough thing for him and a significant admission on his part.
0: Yes. Although he was a pretty, we may have to do an episode about him down the road. But he is—he is actually a fairly remarkable character. Uh, he yeah. turns out to be pretty—I mean, really, really important, and also, and and like good too. Yeah. Like he really is. I, I mean, you know, Thorne. Thorne's an awesome character, but I—I I suspect that Dan's probably a better king under the mountain than Thorne would have been.
1: <laughs> yeah. All. All's well as ends better. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, But okay, so...
0: So now we need to talk about the 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 shadow and the threat that's been growing in our sleep.
1: (laughs) Exactly, yes. Uh, And this is basically the idea that I thought of quite spontaneously in the middle of our last broadcast, which was... uh, Are they going to just roll the Battle of Azanul Bazaar and the Battle of Five Armies together in the film? Because, of course, that's one way to get rid of – that would be one way to solve the problem of we have all of this epic material, but we have too much epic material, um, is to take the epic material from the Battle of Azanul Bazaar and just import it into the Battle of Five Armies. The description of the Battle of Five Armies is sketchy enough, that is, it's limited enough, that – you know you can you could still add a whole bunch of things there um you could do you know you could conceivably have um you know a, a dan kill kill well so first of all you've got the azog bolg issue right yep Azog is the guy killed, in the, uh, you know, the goblin king killed in the Battle of azanul Bazaar and Bolg is his son, who is leading the goblins in the Battle of Five Armies. As Gandalf reminds the dwarves, he reminds Dan, Bolg, whose father Azog you killed in Moria, is here leading this goblin army. And I think there that... <sighs> You know, Some people were trying to reassure us that they can't possibly be combining Azog and Bolg because Bolg has already been cast. But that is not true. The Great Goblin is cast. That is the Great Goblin that they kill when they are captured, that Gandalf kills. At least in the book, Gandalf kills him. Um, that's the guy who's been cast.
0: Yes. And and to the extent one person tried to – one person on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, proposed the idea that maybe the Goblin King was the same as Azog or the same as Bolg, but um, I think it's interesting to note that if you look at Barry Humphrey's casting information on IMDb, he's playing the Goblin King in the first film, and then he's playing some random other character named Gorkin in the second film. Yeah. So I believe that's a confirmation that the Goblin King was not going to survive past the first film.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly. We he... are definitely going to have a killing of the Great Goblin in film one.
0: Yes, yeah. so – so, uh, and as far as I can tell, Bolg has not been cast yet. He's certainly not listed on IMDb, and I haven't seen any announcements on any of the major news sites or any rumors, yeah. so – I I think that's a very I think there's a, a lot of potential for this idea that uh that maybe somehow Azog uh escaped whatever version of the Battle of Azenobazar happens to be at the beginning of the film and that he's gonna show up again at this this fight and that the revenge this this whole revenge against Azog thing will be moved into the Battle of Five Armies. I think that's an interesting idea. Because um, you
1: could I mean it's possible theoretically possible um and you can tell by my tone of voice how excited i am about this idea <laughs> that uh the enmity between the dwarves and the goblins could simply be established by the killing of the great goblin uh you know by thorin and company <clears throat> and gandalf in the middle of the movie, or, you know, in the first movie, so that instead of having the Battle of Azanul Bazar corresponding with the Battle of Five Armies, we could have the Battle of Five Armies just referring back to that first encounter in movie one, um, the the encounter between Thorin and company and the great goblin. So that is possible. You could do it that way without putting the enmity between dwarves and goblins in this broader historical context that the Battle of Azanul Bazar gives. I hate that idea, but I can imagine it working on film. (laughs) Uh, And certainly the reduction in Goblin Kings would probably be seen as a benefit. mm -hmm. Um, You know, Bolg might be one Goblin King too many. That would give us three. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, you know, goblins aren't particularly – there, it, it's hard. I think we don't do a good job. I don't think we perceptually will be able to tell the difference between all these different main goblin orc characters. And I think if we get one too yeah. many named goblin characters, and they're each on screen for about two minutes, it it does right. seem a, like a, a it seems like a bit much. Um, right. So yeah, one thing. So here's say. here's the question: What would be the good elements from? As a null bazaar that that could be, or maybe, or we would like to see imported in the Battle of Five Armies. Particularly if not importing them means they get left out. Obviously, uh, Dan killing um, uh, Azog or whoever would be cool. Um, right. Yeah. Obviously, no, the, the the various characters like Nan and Thran and those people cannot be included in this battle. Right. <laughs> right. Because uh, right. they're dead. It. I guess, I guess you know, the, they don't guess have to Nain kill Nan. Could do be they?
1: there. Thran, Thran, can't be there, yes. but Nan could be. I mean, he could conceive. I mean, inconceivably, I doubt that it would happen. Especially since so they haven't cast him, right? Yeah, so and not- that's one no, too yeah, many so dwarf
0: characters too. Well,
1: we can't have too many dwarf kings either, uh, or dwarf <laughs> leaders. Anyway, dwarf captains. Yeah. So okay, so so all right. So Nan is is probably out too. But uh, we can now, of course, the the problem with having a having a an epic because Azog and his bodyguard give Thorin his mortal wound in the battle in the books. So one could easily imagine a culminating sequence of Thorin fighting hand to hand against Azog and being mortally wounded,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then Dayan coming in and killing Azog, uh, you know, in a Battle of Azanulbazar esque manner. But of course, the question here is where then what then do you do with the gigantic bear who is the one who kills the goblin king who kills bolg in the book
0: that's what i was going to say that's the thing we'll lose we're going to lose bjorn killing bolg which
1: and there's an approximately 0% chance that we're going to lose bjorn yes. now I mean, seriously like we're going to pass up the opportunity for a gigantic monster bear to plunge into this battle <laughs> come on like,
0: maybe so suppose they were to keep um suppose they were to keep Azog and Bolg maybe Bolg isn't named or featured but but there, there'll there be some there'll be some goblin character who's kind of a little bit bigger and wearing better armor than the other characters and then we get to see the giant bear kill him and then later on when we're going through the credits of the movie we'll be like oh that was Bolg <laughs>
1: <laughs> they make bog just like a red shirt basically yes. he's like a goblin red shirt yes yeah. Yeah. um i i could uh i mean i could see almost as an inside joke just sort of like listing one of them as bog <laughs> like uh, you know there you go purists see he did it um, <laughs> That would satisfy anybody. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, but see, the thing is, is that you can still have Bjorn come in and have a, you know, a massive effect on the battle without having him be the one to kill Azog. Because basically, I doubt, I doubt that that's going to work with the story as they're going to tell it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Bjorn descends on the battle in the book, of course, he's not. It's not. It happens off stage. We're only told about it afterwards. We don't see Bjorn coming into the battle. Bilbo's unconscious um, when it happens, but. Um but from what we hear of it, Bjorn descends on the Battle of Five Armies like the fist of God. <laughs> yes. I mean, he just, I mean, you know, like a meteor opening a crater in the goblins. And so, I mean, he can have that kind of effect, but I don't expect, as much as I expect Peter Jackson to relish the opportunity to have a monstrous werebear throwing goblins around in the battle, I can't imagine him just having Bjorn come in and basically single-handedly take over everything in the way that he basically does in the mm-hmm. book. Um, and... Because that would be...
0: It'll look hokey on film. It'll be two deus ex machina.
1: Yes, exactly. And it will... And, and and less personal. You know, he's... he's. I don't think they're gonna... Well, I mean, I don't know... You know, Bjorn's character is, of course, another discussion topic for another week. But, <coughs> um, but I think that, like, basically his own... his His... He's not going to have enough personal reason. You know, there's there, there's no, like, you killed my father, prepare to die element of Bjorn attacking the Great Goblin. You know, or, you know, attacking Azog. I'm all full of the Princess Bride today. Um, anyway, uh, that's, 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 that's... I don't see that happening for that reason. Like, having Thorin and Dayan fighting against him makes much more sense, I think, in that way. So I can see that. I can imagine this. Um, but, anyway... Um,
0: <laughs> uh, it's fun to speculate about these battles. Yes, yes it is.
1: <laughs> um but anyway, so i uh, um so so yeah, um okay. But the 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 cruel truth is I think that the rolling together idea works uncomfortably well. Yes um, I, I am I'm like ever since ever since i suggested that i've been considering it with increasing horror mm-hmm. uh, because i think it's actually really quite plausible now one element from the, uh, from asanobar which i don't think could be non hokily worked into the um the battle of five armies is the Oakenshield thing um you know he he because he I believe has that name all the way through he certainly does in the book mm-hmm. uh, and I think I don't think they're going to wait to introduce him as Oakenshield until the end of the film the, the end of the second film either so, um, so yeah, clearly, give him that
0: name after he's dead
1: right, exactly <laughs> and in memoriam we shall remember him as Thorin Oakenshield I think no, that,
0: nice. yeah I think at that point they'll be remembering him as Thorin yeah. King under the mountain yeah, <laughs> exactly, I think he'd rather that. have that title
1: yeah a nice, uh, a nice jaunty Nickname is not really what he needs uh, on his deathbed. There, no.
0: So. I, I, I was going to. I kind of agree. I, I was going to mention that. <clears throat> This podcast is, is kind of therapeutic in a way. I think it's it's preparing me to accept all of these changes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Because
0: as, as, uh, you're right. As much as I sort of hated the idea initially of them rolling these things together, as we talk it through, I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I really don't see any other way they can do this. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> this actually I... makes complete sense. Duh! <laughs> Darn it I, mean, I can
1: see it I can still imagine i can I can see in my mind's eye, not a full beginning of the fellowship of the ring battle of the last alliance treatment of uh of of the battle of as an I can imagine flashbacks I can mm-hmm. see it happening allusions back to it to set up the backstory if they do choose that they want more than just uh you know the killing of the great goblin by yeah by Thorne, gandalf and company if they want more than that to build up the animosity between the dwarves and the and the goblins then you know cool then you could go there you could do that mm-hmm. but um but you can't i don't know i mean i i doubt it would be the whole thing i doubt they would really do yeah uh, they would really do the full show as much I, as i, I can, would long I, for them to do it
0: i can even imagine them having the um War of the Last Alliance fellowship of the rings style beginning probably not because i think that will be the the dragon but i could imagine them doing it i'm just i'm increasingly thinking the choicest morsels from the battle the best scenes or confrontations right. I'm really thinking those are going to be stuck at the end now. Or, 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 or something, something, even if they don't import it directly, like they don't import, um, Dan killing, confronting and killing Azog, that they will import the idea of that scene, a major battle between a dwarf leader and an or, and a goblin leader or something, so. Right. Right. Yes, I'm feeling inexorably drawn toward an answer on our predictions question. Yes,
1: yes, uh, yes. Uh, and I'm afraid we might end up agreeing. Yes. <laughs> Which I guess is okay if that happens every once in a while. Yeah. So, okay, we should, we should get to our official prediction question here now because uh, I'm starting to run out of time. So yep. um, So our question, our official question for this week's uh, show is, will they conflate the Battle of Azanul Bazaar with the Battle of Five Armies? And the choices are, A, no, not at all. They will be depicted completely separately. B, they'll retain the idea of the Battle of Azanulbazar, but some elements will be incorporated into the Battle of Five Armies. And C, the Battle of Azanulbazar will be completely removed from the story, and whatever elements appear on screen will do so in the Battle of Five Armies.
0: And we and we should clarify, the difference between B and C is – by C, we mean completely removed. There won't even necessarily be mention of it. Yeah, um, people
1: who haven't read the books will not know that – Previous major battle between the dwarves and goblins exists. Yes,
0: or maybe there'll or be at least not not that one. Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be a vague reference to wars and battles, right. but not this right. specific battle. There will be no mention of 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 uh, Thran being injured or Nan being killed or. Any of that burnt kind of dwarves stuff.
1: dwarves, the mines of Moria, or yeah. any of
0: that. C C is basically the let's not confuse the uh, audience yep. with too much information. Yep. Answer um, B yep. is sort of B B B is pretty broad. It could cover anything from some hmm. flashbacks and scenes to uh, a two-minute segment at the beginning to just naming it by name. To a
1: passing reference to burn dwarves.
0: Yes, which that's right. Would make me tear up a little bit. If they uh, mentioned Burned dwarves. It's B. They <laughs> mentioned
1: Burned dwarves. That totally counts as B. Not holding my breath, not holding my breath. Just just indulging I am. a pleasant fantasy. I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, my 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 hope is small, but uh but but my desire is great to see that happen. So who's he? who who knows? Um well my my, my prediction is B. I, I, I wish and you see for the first time, I have not chosen the maximally optimistic option, uh, but I'm still not willing to let go of optimism entirely. Um, I don't. I hope and believe they're not going to go for the maximally streamlined streamlined thing because I suspect that they will see the power of at least having references back to uh, this. Great battle that happened before, um, as a kind of a shortcut to giving the history of the goblins and dwarves, you mm-hmm. know, so that they can recognize that there is serious bad blood. We're not just talking about little skirmishes. There's like a major battle in the background, um, and that that could be used. I think. Um, Effectually, for framing the Battle of Five Armies, um, even if they don't do it all out. So, I doubt they're going to do it all out, um, but I think it's, I, I, but I don't think they're going to expunge it entirely. I think it's going to be, at least I hope it's going to be incorporated at least a bit, though I do also I- expect some of those elements, um, from, from the Battle of Azanul to be incorporated into the Battle of Five Armies.
0: Yep. I, I'm afraid I have to agree. It's it's I, our discussion and analysis was was too effective this week. It just appears to me that there can be no other conclusion.
1: <laughs> well, sadly, sadly, I have to say that I think C is more likely than A. Um, I wish I didn't think that, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, but but uh, but I'm still going to hold out for B.
0: Yep, I'm holding out for B as well. So uh, we agree this week. Fortunately, looking at our prediction grid, um, I'm sure we're going to get a diversity of answers. The, the, <laughs> yes. the first week, we, we had at least one person choose every single possible answer.
1: Right. Though, so, you know, that that in itself, like if we ever do get perfect unanimity among all of the predictors, that itself will be very interesting. Um, because, of course, yes, in fact, it would almost lead me to believe perversely that we must all be wrong. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yes. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll all agree this week. Who
0: knows? (laughs) All right. Well, I guess uh, you should probably go teach class now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I probably
0: should. (laughs) Um, About ten minutes. I don't think we know what... The topic will be next time. We I don't know. Do you do you want to move on from dwarves, or do you want to move, or do you want to go well, ahead and do that? we still the...
1: need to talk about Thorin, so maybe it would be a good time to t- since we're since we've been on these subjects, maybe it would be a good time to segue to a discussion of Thorin specifically.
0: Okay, uh, I'm dude. I, if we spend half a year on dwarves, I'm fine. They don't get talked. Well, about hey, that. I mean, this is the dwarf book, right? That's I mean, right. We're
1: gonna do dwarves. It's time right. for dwarves. Yes. Now is the you know it's like when uh, when Elrond says now is the hour of the Shire folk, right? Well, now is the hour of the dwarven folk that's right uh, you know when they emerge from their obscurity and from uh, their holes you know, and kill a bunch of orcs in the of the Rings. And, cut down uh, some trees <laughs> set themselves <laughs> on the fire stage. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> alright <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us this week uh, this, is, this was uh, definitely a fun show and as I say we've been appreciating uh, your comments and feedback we're always interested to think and talk about those um, and, uh, and we hope to have a mechanism for your contributing directly to our predictions grid soon um, but, uh, so anyway do uh, do uh, keep up the, 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 the comments and discussion and we look forward to more so thanks for listening everybody and Godspeed
0: We'd like to add a quick note of thanks to one of our analysts, John DiBartolo of the Lonely Mountain Band, for granting us the use of his music for the Riddles in the Dark podcast. The introduction was a selection of the Song of Durin's Awakening from the Lonely Mountain Band's Beyond the Western Seas album, and now you're listening to Expert Treasure Hunter from their new Second Breakfast album. You can find information about these albums and even download free songs from their website, LonelyMountainBand.com. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.